You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today we have a certified innovator on the show. Hello. We're very uh, thankful to have Angelica Wandu on the show. I'm happy to be here. Hey, guys. (laughs) I'm going to dive right in. Are you Nigerian? Yeah, well, I'm first generation Nigerian. My parents were from Nigeria. And they um, came here, I think, in the 80s um, to kind of pursue the American dream. And um, and it turned into the American nightmare, honestly. So um, that's kind of my background. Yeah. Yeah. So my understanding uh, is uh, Fred, I uh, forget the brother's last name, who started Media Takeout. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, he's not, I don't think he's Nigerian, but he was uh, uh, African. Um but where I'm going is I see a lot of folks uh, who are not uh, African-American mm-hmm. uh, uh, like myself, uh, but you guys are coming with more of your kind of African culture mm-hmm. in academia and media. And you're seeing rel- rel- relative to the population, Africans are killing it. Uh, and, oh yeah, you know, across uh, across a lot of areas <laughs> in the United States. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, first of all, I grew up in the American culture with Nigerian influence. So um, I grew up in the foster care culture. So a lot of the people that took care of me were American, but I had my family still around me, and I, I still had a strong grasp of my Nigerian um, roots. You know, um, but I will say that Africans are killing it. I think we are the most educated immigrants, <laughs> you know, uh, immigrant yeah. group. Um, and, and they are killing it. I mean, well, you have to think about how Africans, I mean, in the culture, you're raised to um, pursue education to the to the fullest. Um, the, the parents are really strict, you know. And so even though I was in foster care, I think that's what kind of steered me the way, you know, I went to college, I got a full scholarship to college, you know what I mean? But you were still connected to that aspect uh, of, hey, you got to put a premium on education that comes from that Nigerian culture. Yeah, I mean, my dad was a professor, so he, I mean, you know, so he was extremely intelligent. And I remember when we we were living with him, when, I mean, we couldn't watch TV, like, you know, like we would, he would sit us down and have competitions on who could read better, you know what I'm saying? And so I grew up with that, um, that that influence and and uh, you know and the emphasis on education and the emphasis on being successful and that stayed with me even when I was removed from that environment and put into foster care I still had people around me like listen you may be a foster child but you're a Nigerian and you're going to be successful you know what I mean and so that so I had two identities and so I always kept that Nigerian those those expectations when I would even and I would even say when I would go into class the typical African American, there is a stereotype put on their head, even when they're in school. You get what I'm saying? That hey, you know, you're not gonna be successful, or whatever it is. But I lived in a, a different stereotype. I was Nigerian, and they saw that by my last name. So when I would go to class, they would say, "You're gonna, you you should get straight A's." Or the teachers treated there was a me positive expectation. It was yeah. a positive expectation of me, and so I would say that that helped um, me growing up for sure. Uh, wow, you really touched on uh, a theory. Um, uh, of a uh, scholar, Derek Bell, uh, he came out with a theory called the stereotype threat. And what he said was because there were low expectations of African-Americans in the classroom and in other areas, that that played out in the end result, meaning that uh, the stereotype, the expectation 
actually drove the results. And so you're saying, in, from your perspective, there was a positive there stereotype a positive. where you're getting treated like an Asian in mm -hmm, the classroom. Definitely. And that helped your confidence. It did. Yeah. I wasn't, my teachers didn't accept anything from me. They were just like, hey, I know you have Nigerian parents who, even though I didn't most of the time, um, but they were like, I know you have Nigerian parents that I could tell, you know, that I know they're strict on you. You're going to be smart. Um, and that does help with self esteem, self confidence, um, and goals because you, if people see you in a, great light then you'll begin to see yourself in a great light words are very powerful so i've studied uh well i trace my lineage and it goes back to nigeria yoruba through my uh, dad's okay. side um and i've studied this issue in terms of the nigerians my friends and the nigerians that i know in the united states and i looked at kind of cultural differences in academic performance and one report uh that covered this issue uh they interviewed a Niger nigerian family and the Nigerian mother said uh, to her kids, don't play with the African-American kids. They're mm. going to mess you up and get you off track. Mm. Does that sound crazy based on your experience that a Nigerian mother in the United States would say, be careful with those African-American kids? It doesn't sound crazy to me. It doesn't sound crazy to me because I think that there is this dynamic between um, African-Americans and Africans. On both sides. Um, I know that when I was growing up, a lot of times I was teased or, you know, um, stereotyped by African-American children. I mean, only because we're told what we're, we're only taught. We, we only know what we see. Right. So yeah. um, this is the way that Africa and Africans are portrayed on television um, to, you know, African-Americans here. There's this divide. Right. And so I would, you know, I'll be playing doing PE and I'm like, oh, do you make the rain come or do the rain dance or whatever? You know, like everybody I could. T it's a lot of African people now who could say that they were bullied when they were younger. Um, and then the same is on the other end. There's a lot of Africans who have a have a stereotype of what black people are like. You know, African Americans yeah. are like, right? They're like, oh, they're disconnected from their culture. They're, um, you know, they they have these stereotypes because of what they see. You know, what 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 is portrayed of African Americans to them? And look at what is the portrayal of African Americans? We're fighting every day to change that portrayal and that stereotype. But Americans have a stereotype of African Americans, and that's what Nigerians see, or well, you know, Africans, you right. So they would have that. Oh, stay away from them. You know, they're this, they're that, they're bad influences and things of that nature because of what they see. So I think we're both being duped. <laughs> you know what I mean on both sides um, because of what we're because of what we've seen. Yeah, I wasn't shocked. Um, I was on Facebook's campus a couple of years ago, and I saw a sprinkle of black people, but they all were African, meaning that when Facebook and Google, when tech companies, when they report that, hey, we have 2% black, what they're not really disclosing, they probably don't want to disclose, is that African-American uh, percentage of that uh, is probably, of the black, could be less than half, meaning that uh, African-Americans, uh, that's not who's getting a lot of the jobs. It's actually Africans who are coming over here and out-competing the African-Americans, at least that, that's, that's what I'm seeing. Um, so talk about your, your story in terms of growing up and how do you get to start the, the shade room? Well, okay. So, um, as I said, my parents came over, um, you know, when I was like in the eighties, um, and my mother was a nurse and my dad was a professor. He eventually lost his job and that created issues in the marriage. Um, and my father, you know, there's, there is this thing, um, 
what do they call it now? They call it, um, uh, I, f- I forgot what it's called, but it's like whatever masculinity could be fatal at times, right? O- over like toxic, toxic, masculinity. toxic That's masculinity. What That's what they're calling it. Yeah, toxic uh, masculinity. Before you say, before you say anything, uh, <laughs> I would just say that for the audience, if some of you people are going to talk about toxic masculinity, uh, if you're going to use that word, don't be scared when you look at the history of our people around the world that if you're going to bang on toxic masculinity, you have to bang on whiteness, toxic whiteness. I don't see why folks would. Uh, it's so easy and popular for you to say toxic masculinity, but it's so hard for you to say toxic whiteness. I'm sorry. Oh, no, Go we ahead. say toxic whiteness all okay, the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying some other, <laughs> other people out there. Yeah, some other people out That's there. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But Go no, because, to- okay, we can talk about that. But toxic max- masculinity to me is when you're, you use your, your masculinity becomes um, – fatal to other people right you know what I mean in in my opinion that's what it is right and that's what happened my dad was um grown up to take care of himself and and to make be the breadwinner in the family and when the roles were switched he began to be offended by that right and so you know his, his demeanor towards my mother changed he became abusive I ended up you know obviously long story short he did take my mother's life when I was six years old so I ended up in foster care um and so being in foster care I was raised under African-American role models and and parents and and figures and things of that nature um, for 12 years right but I still have my cousins and my aunts that would come visit and you know the majority of my family was in Nigeria but I still had that influence Um, so anyway I got I went through uh, foster care best thing I've ever gone through and I know you won't hear that a lot but it really refined my character and stretched me and um you know, and, and made me who I am today. I got a full ride to Loyola Marymount University and I studied accounting. <laughs> so I got a job um, working towards becoming a CPA, um, doing my supervisor, a CPA. Anyway, it's a long story. Anyway, but I got a job working towards becoming a CPA um, and I was working for a motorcycle company. And I decided at that point that I wanted to be a writer because that's what I had done my whole life. Like I was a poet. Um, that's what got me, you know, to kind of deal with my emotions that I dealt with when I was young. Um, and so I decided one day I wanted to be a writer. I said it to the world. I told everybody I knew. My mentor connected me with a script, a script, a screenwriter who was working on a script. Her name is Jordana Spiro. She's an actress. Um, and we wrote our first script. It went to Sundance which was amazing. That gave me all of the juice that I needed <laughs> to believe that I could pursue this career in writing. Um, and, you know, Sundance gave me a grant to write. That allowed me to leave my job, which I was given an ultimatum anyway because <laughs> I was focusing so much on writing. So I left my job, um, and in that time what was, period... What were you doing at the job? I was um, training to be a CPA, so I was doing like bookkeeping and, and um, doing like taxes and all of that type of stuff under okay. under a real CPA. Um, and so yeah, I left and um, and I was unemployed <laughs> and I didn't have any money. Sundance gave me a grant for five thousand dollars, and they said write. And what that translated into into my head was figure out how you're gonna take care of yourself. So I I I was actually. A, 
frequenting boss up, you know, me to take out all of these sites and I would do that for free, you know, and just call up my friends. Did you see this happen? Did you see that happen? And so finally they were like, well, if you're going to call us up every time something big happens and you're going to report to us with these funny stories, why don't you just create your own website? And so at the time I didn't know how to create a website. I wasn't technologically advanced. Plus when I would go online, everybody would say, don't do it. You know, it's a dying industry. WW is a dying industry. So, um, the only thing I knew how to do was Instagram. I was really great at Instagram. And so I created a website on Instagram um, that published directly to Instagram during the time when websites were trying to figure out their relationship to social media. And it did well. It did well. I want to share with you a great company called TopTal. That's T-O-P-T-A-L. This is a company that I use if you're in the market for a freelancer, uh, whether it's an engineer or a designer. This is one of the leading companies that's going to help you identify and hire top freelancing talent. Uh, you can go to moguldom.com forward slash TopTal. You click on that link and register and someone will get right back to you to get more information. Be sure to uh, check out TopTal. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, you know, I read that Facebook uh, shut you down a, a few times. And they I've did. had, uh, my prior company had a lot of problems with Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of their policy teams and harassing us over stuff that we feel like, hey, this is, this is okay content. Like, it's not, yeah. you know, it shouldn't be a big deal. Uh, but... Talk about any challenges you experienced with yeah. Facebook moving against the shade room. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the problem, like you said, is that there is no sufficient um, or efficient process for Facebook to kind of look at the the report system is not efficient, in, in my opinion. It's not. It doesn't work in the advantage of the media companies. It works. You know what I mean? Like they don't. Have, you don't have a. I mean, it, it just was hard. Like some, like you said, some of the content that we had, they would uh, be against it. Um, the reporting system. If so many people report something, they'll take it down without either. Like there, yeah. it's hard to talk to someone. It, it's it was a just, very cold system. It's a very cold system, yeah. especially that doesn't work for media. And I don't. And and as we can see now, Facebook doesn't really want media that much on their platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but did, yeah. Did you, did you feel like your business? Uh, it could be a wrap in terms of you were shut down long enough where, hey, you know, I don't know if we're going to get past this. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, because Facebook was huge when it came to our website. It wasn't our biggest community. Our biggest community lives on Instagram. And, you know, but it was it was vital when it came to the Yeah, website. I guess when I, when I mentioned Facebook, I'm really talking about Instagram. Oh, you're talking yeah, about Instagram? Yeah, yeah, Instagram? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there were plenty of times where I thought that I was done. Um, but what I realized in those moments when we would get shut down because the Instagram or Facebook isn't media friendly, um, as media friendly as we would like. Um, what I did realize was that the brand is strong. I realized how strong the brand was. The first time we got shut down, um, we grew faster than the first time. So, and how long were these periods where they shut down your business? Um, so the first time we had 500,000 followers, on Instagram. This is when we were just now just becoming a, you know, a name. And so we got shut down for a, a period of I would say 2 weeks. And and I just remember that was one of the hardest 2 weeks ever. And then um after that we got back on Instagram. We started from follower number 1. <laughs> okay? Wow. And we yeah, we had, you had to, to open up a new account. We had to open up a new account 
from number one. And I, I can't tell you what kind of balls it took for me to sit there and just start again, right? Like from scratch. It took major balls. And I don't know, like even when I look back on that girl, I'm like, girl, like you're inspiring. Like how, how did you get up like and start the, just start over, right? From one. But I did and and we grew 500,000 in two months. You get what I'm saying? Versus six months that it took the first time. So two months. And then the account grew bigger than it would have ever, I think, grown before. So they shut down your your, your business, essentially. You got yeah. to do it all over again. Right. Um, do you think it's, you know, Facebook is saying we're all about diversity. You know, they mm-hmm. hire a you know a diversity team. And, yeah. you know, their PR people are saying we're all about diversity. Uh, but do you think uh, that would be inconsistent in terms of how they treated uh, or how media. they have treated, not just with your situation up to 500,000, but after, uh, that they haven't treated black media like they really care about diversity. That is true. I think that they do need to have an initiative um, to kind of reach out to black media because we are treated, I mean, the way that they just shut black media down, I mean, when you look at like Fashion Bomb Daily just got shut down, um, an account with over a million followers that's very prevalent in the community, and she can't even get anybody on the line. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Uh, for, yeah, for, yeah. The, for the audience, it's not just yeah. uh, a few media folks. I'm talking about uh, media organizations uh, that I am aware of representing uh, probably about 20 million uh, users online. Uh, multiple organizations talk about Facebook being very cold uh, in their way they're policing content, particularly content that is attacking the system, attacking racism, that's really speaking to black folks specifically. They are policing it in an arbitrary way, like the police in the streets. Uh, essentially, that's my conclusion uh, in talking to more folks and my own experience uh, with with Facebook. Would you Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in this, I think that they need to. Again, I think they need to be educated on you know what black media is and how important it is and the to the type of content that we. I mean. It's the report system, I think. You know what I mean? I think it's the report system where racists can just report, you know, uh, yeah. this content, and there's no kind of protection um, from that. That's exactly, so, exactly what uh, yeah. happened with us. Uh, yeah. uh, they said that uh, some users complained uh, about some of our content, but I'm like, hey, you post something about Barack Obama, and some people don't like it. What does that got to do with the the business or, yeah. the, or, 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 or or the site? Right, and so that's what I mean about it not being media friendly, especially on our end, um, because there there is no we don't have the top relationships, uh, you know, like yeah. uh, there's no effort to make a, to foster relationships with us. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if it's because we don't, um, they don't think we're important enough. I don't, I don't really know what it is, but I think it's definitely something that Facebook should invest in. Okay. You have so many, maybe the biggest Instagram, yeah. uh, following in black media. Has Facebook ever connected with you and said, Hey, we're going to put a dedicated rep because you're helping Facebook blow up. Mm-hmm. Meaning that they're, they're making a lot of advertising off yeah. of the shade room. You have the biggest Instagram following in black America in terms of media. Have they ever reached not, out? Not even just black Amer- America. Oh, period. Period. More, more. E-News doesn't have as many followers <laughs> yeah. as we have. Um, CNN, TMZ, like as far as on social media, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it's, it's like one of the biggest, you know, following in the media, media space period, you know, for them. And we get, we bring in about 5 billion impressions per uh, month just on Instagram alone. So you're you're bigger than all the the uh, a lot of the mainstream uh uh platforms. 
but has Facebook invested in a partnership with you? Well, so in terms of like a rep where you could talk through your issues and because what I, I have spoken with yeah. uh, white CEOs yeah. where they say that Facebook uh, has sent experts to help them figure out the out al- the algorithm, exploit the algorithm. They were giving them inside information. And so Facebook has been consulting for mm-hmm. certain media companies. Uh, but yeah. in, in fairness, they're consulting with media companies that are spending a lot of money on the platform. Right. Um, well, you know, the thing about it is is that we we have had to reach out to Facebook. And um, I wouldn't say they came to us. We had to reach out to them. and But they have had meetings with us. Um, and, uh, you know, about doing content, um, you know, partnering in, in certain ways. They have done. We've had those kind of conversations. I'm not going to spend too long on, on this. But uh, so... Of course, the Russians uh, used Facebook uh, to compromise the democratic process in terms of the election. Uh, and so an audit was done in that it showed, of course, there were a lot of Russian mm-hmm. racist ads yeah. that were going through the pipes of Facebook, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But Facebook was not policing those ads. Uh, based on, you know, kind of observing certain content policies on Facebook and Instagram, how could the Russians in these organizations get all this racist stuff, but legitimate black media companies are getting shut down because of speaking out against racism? Like, explain that. Like, how, how... What's what's going on with that? You know what I have that. That's the question we've been asking ourselves. You know what I mean? Because we will see some of the most vile content, um, you know, out there on Facebook, and and something small, you know what I mean, that is 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 not offensive in any way, does not, um, you know, uh, does not violate the community guidelines for us will be taken down. The only way that I could, you know, try to make any sense of this is is the users i guess i mean i I feel like i said when you have an automated system where you're not really having conversations with people you're not really feel you know i mean you have an automated system that's filtering reports um there could be a group of racists you know what i mean that are you know what i mean Uh, you mean insight in in, no i'm talking about like the users you know what i mean Uh, a group of races that would um you know not report racist content, but will report. You know, what I mean? I, I, yeah. I'm not really sure how it, how it works, but it, it is odd that 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 happens okay, on so, the platform. So my understanding in talking with other CEOs and researching this issue is that Facebook uh, they have a whitelist. Uh, so uh, one CEO, you know, he spent millions of dollars, mm-hmm. and you know, he he was spending millions of dollars a month, and he said Facebook was helping. His company game the algorithms, and you know, Facebook has given BuzzFeed and other uh, publishers who are spending money on the platform. They give them preferred access. They give them experts, consulting, and in BuzzFeed's case, I believe Facebook gave them five million dollars. Uh, uh, BuzzFeed has the benefit of having their board member on the board of uh, Facebook, but I believe what happens with black media, where the system is not transparent. And if you're spending a certain amount of money or you have certain relationships, they are going to put that website in a whitelist. And so the policing uh, is going to be different. So the Trump campaign, uh, Cambridge Analytica and, and some of the affiliates, 
uh, in in general, I believe that websites are put into different buckets. And so if if black people are you know one percent of the policy teams, the content policy teams that polices this stuff, uh, uh, are the executives who decide on the the policies of the organization. If black people are not in the room, uh, it seems like there's just a lot of room for the same policing issues, uh, uh, mass incarceration issues that you see on the street. There's no reason to believe that tech and some of these policies are going to be any different in terms of arbitrary policing. Right. I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, I think I think that's a huge problem, honestly. I think it's a huge problem because we're not spending as much money. We don't have as much access and we don't have as much representation and we don't have, you know, we're not allowed the same allowances. Right. And so that that is an issue. You've innovated uh, a massive amount in terms of scaling an audience in a short amount of time. How did you create your playbook? Was it just a matter of testing? Was it a combination of research? Walk the audience through kind of how did you build your formula to scale Shade Room? You know what? I, I just want to let you know, I, I don't want to degrade myself uh, or, you know, or downplay myself, um, but I don't think I was a genius per se. You know what I mean? I think that I was, I, like I said, I grew up in America as a black woman. That's that's the real reality. I grew up as a black woman, right? When you look at me, I'm black, obviously. Um, and, and the only time I got anything else was when you saw my last name, right? And so for me, um, I, I knew what I was interested in and that I had, I had, I wasn't one dimensional. I didn't just like gossip or celebrity news. I like music, fashion, all these things, funny stuff, trending, everything. You know, I had, I just wanted to, basically how I was able to scale the shade room was dialing into who I was, dialing into what my interests were. And that just happened to resonate with a lot of other black women. You get what I'm saying? And a lot of people. I have a, I'm Nigerian. So our second biggest um, population is from Lagos. You know what I mean? Nigeria, you know, is, is one of our second biggest um, populations. So it's, it, it's me just being true to myself and, through being true to myself, so many people um, can relate to that. And it, and it just, the feed is curated to people with specific interests. And I think that's why the shade room is scaling is because people are connecting, personally connecting with the content um, because of how true I am to myself. It's been instinct, I would say, so far. Have you thought about taking the shade room to Nigeria? I definitely have thought about taking the shade room to Nigeria. I mean, I own the domains and things of that nature, and we had a website that we created, but it, it will take a lot. Uh, but I definitely want to give Nigeria something, for sure. As an observer, um, you know, what I found amazing uh, about what you were doing, and I would say probably this was like two, three years ago, uh, I saw you bringing in direct advertisers in mm-hmm. uh, publishers uh, at your scale, weren't really kind of transacting with small, medium-sized businesses, black businesses, uh, with the same traction uh, as you. Can you talk about building out that monetization strategy? Which, from my perspective in the digital media industry, I don't, I didn't see any media company doing that, doing moving commerce and transacting directly with advertisers with small to medium-sized businesses the way you were doing. Yes. And so, like, again, I will say this, and I this is my disclaimer. I am not a genius. I will tell you this. A lot of the things that happened was because of 
uh, inconveniences. For instance, when we first started to, when we first started, when we first, we, we weren't on a website. So we couldn't, you know, to, I mean, I have a website, we have a website that's doing well now, but we back then could not take advantage of um, ads, ad, Google AdSense and all these things or, or website, uh, you know, deals and things of that nature. So we had to find a way to monetize Instagram, right? And at the time, uh, most websites weren't using Instagram as a publishing platform. I think we were one as of the- As a primary As a primary yeah. publishing. Yeah. We were the first ones to do it. And so we had to create our own blueprint that would help the company. And um, so we, you know- we saw a demand. The people wanted to be on the shade room. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the the people that we were um, servicing wanted to be on the shade room. And so for me, it was like, hey, okay, how do we monetize this situation? Well, why don't we give them a platform to be on the shade room? And a lot of people say it's a it's a dumb decision. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because why? Um, because they will say that there's a cap, right? Um, of what you could charge a, 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 a black business or a small business, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, versus going to bigger companies and things of that nature yeah. and being able to do bigger deals. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's really worked for us. I, I, I think it works for us in both ways. We're able to empower the companies and we, and we've, our, um, cost, what we charge the companies to advertise on the shade room is very affordable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we've been able to give a lot of companies their start on the shade room. And I do believe that when you have a site that, that, um, uh, gives opportunity to the community and you know what I mean? Like it's not just a, a site that people go and look at and, and things of that nature and they see ads on it, but you're actually giving, helping people build their businesses and things of that nature. Then you, you're creating something really valuable. Uh, one thing I'll say in my experience, and you know, we did deals with Wells Fargo, with, with BMW, um, and we've done, you know, Fortune 500 deals. But when you start working with the big companies, uh, now there's a question of can you sustain your authenticity, where you're mm -hmm. speaking direct with your audience, you're keeping it real, mm -hmm. but when you have the claws of these corporations that don't yeah. really understand the culture. Uh, they're scared of real talk about some mm -hmm. of the issues in our community. They don't want to be by that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I feel like long term, uh, it is better for you and other uh, uh, media companies to have access to revenue from the community yeah. Yeah. Uh, than revenue from some of these bigger corporations who are most likely at scale, uh, they're going to dilute the mm -hmm. authenticity of the content over time in terms of restrictions. I'm, one thing you'll learn about me is I'm very big on authenticity. And that's why I haven't accepted millions of investment dollars. I know that a lot of people are, you know, I mean, one, one thing about the company, we took um, a convertible note of 100000 when we first started, and that's the only investment that I've ever had, never spent the money. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the rest of the money is um, the company's money that we invest back into the company to grow. We're basically bootstrapping for the most part. Um, and so for me, it, it is so important especially in this day and age when media companies don't really know what they're doing that's just the truth let's be honest look at vice uh, look at buzzfeed they don't really know nobody really knows what we're doing we digital media is new you get what i'm saying yeah. and so to be able to be flexible and to be able to 
change the company if I needed to or to convert the company to something else. You know what I mean? Just just my thing is listening, listening to the audience. Right. And I'm not able to listen to the audience if I have all these, like you said, big companies that are investing in in diluting the content. I can't listen to the audience. I can't transform the company when it needs to be transformed. And so my biggest thing is owning the company so that I can make sure that any decision or any transformation that needs to take place, we can do that. And that we're always staying true to the audience. Once you stop staying true to the audience, you're done. Period. You know? And just to talk about like BuzzFeed, I, you know, my sister loves BuzzFeed. Oh, yeah. They're doing it. Not to, I don't want to take anything no, away No, I'm not from taking nothing yeah. from them, yeah. no, but this is what she told me. Yeah. She loves BuzzFeed, and I love BuzzFeed too, but she loves BuzzFeed, but she's like, okay. I can't stand taking quizzes on BuzzFeed anymore. I'm like, why? She's like, because it's always an ad. It's like a native ad thing. Like, you know what I mean? Going yeah. on there. And so that's what I'm saying. That's what happens when you have to recoup that money that you've taken for investment. And what's the minimum uh, budget you'll accept on the shade room from an advertiser? Um, you know what? There, it's funny. There is no minimum. That's the funny part. There is no minimum. There are times when... Depending on the person, um, I, I mean, it, there is no minimum. It depends on the company. Because I, I once had a girl tell me, she hit me up on Facebook, and she wanted to advertise some shoes. And it was like, she was she was just like, I need to do this. I need to start my company, this, this and that. And I gave her an ad for $300. I would. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not the typical amount, but it just depends really for me. It, it really depends. I think so you, that won't, is, you won't turn away a client that would have a hundred dollars there's a place uh, for them well, too. They, well <laughs> yeah. i don't know if i did <laughs> but i'm saying yeah. like it, it really depends for me it depends on the if somebody has a really good story i mean it just depends I, we have a relationship with our community you know what i'm saying and some of our roommates are diehard roommates and if you've been a roommate for years and you just want to be on the shade room because you know i mean we like not too long ago we gave out business um loans i mean not business loans business scholarships to a lot of our roommates you know what i'm saying so it really de it depends to me um obviously normally we don't do 300 um dollar ass just so y'all know but i'm just saying yeah. like it there is no low lowest I would go. It depends. It depends. Uh, and so you started Shade Room. Uh, how do you acquire your traffic? How do you build uh, the audience so fast? Like, were there any kind of specific techniques uh, uh, that you could share in terms of, hey, I was optimizing what was working and it was, you know, it kept on working. I, st I started doing more of it. Like, was there any technique that really worked for you? Yeah, the major technique that worked for us is that we don't curate the content. I mean, we curate the content, but it comes from the roommates. So basically, the roommates, we wake up in the morning and the roommates are the ones sending in everything that they want to see that day. And basically what we do is we go through what they want to see and we pull out what's real. You know, obviously we have to, you know, verify things. We pull out what's real. We pull out, um, you know, uh, what we know works on the page and things of that nature. So basically the roommates make their own. It's like the people's blog, right? Which is one big, I mean, they could pull down an article, they could put up an article. You know what I mean? Like literally that they have that power when it comes to the shade room. And I don't think that uh, many sites allow that kind of power. They, they kind of are in the 
position of power and kind of determine and dictate what their audience sees. Whereas we allow the audience to be in a position of power and dictate what they want us to see. If they say, hey, uh, we don't want to see this person on the shade room anymore, it's gone. You know what I mean? Or if yeah. they say, hey, we want to see this person up and then they're not necessarily a celebrity, but we want to, you know, build them into becoming that. When you look at like Queen Nyjah and Chris Sales and all those, you know what I mean? Those people um, that normal traditional outlets were like, who are they? You know, these are YouTubers, but we allow the audience to dictate what is on the shade room. And I think that listening is a, is a big part of it because we do that. We're not serving them stuff that they, that they're not interested in. We're serving them everything that they're interested in, you know, on the platform. Uh, how big is your team? We, 20 people all together, and I'm talking about lawyers, uh, accountants, CFOs, yeah. everybody. Uh, full-time employees. Uh, we have, um, all of our writers are full-time, and we have about 12, 12 writers. 12. Yeah. Um, you're keeping a lean operation. I what am. Are, what are some of you, does that come from your accounting background? But you seem like you're, you're, you're very disciplined uh, in as you're, 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 you know, your business keeps growing, but that doesn't mean you're going to go hire 50 employees and, and do a whole bunch of funky stuff. Uh, talk about your philosophy on Stan Lee. Well, here's the situation. I think that for me, I do a lot of research. And so, um, like, for instance, the company, we made double the revenue. We're going, we, we made double what we made last year, this year. Already, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, and we're only six months in, and the year before we made double. You know, like we, yeah. we're growing exponentially. Um, but for me, I've always been cheap. Number one, so so I bring that into it, I guess, because I've been cheap. I've I've always I only want to spend when necessary. Um, but also, I've looked at the other companies, right? So I've seen, um, you know, even like Groupon, you know, was an example for me a long time ago. You know, when Groupon kind of was crashing, it was because they, I mean, they, you know, what I mean, like all the offices and all of the employees. Yeah. I'm like, well, what does it really take to run our operation? Like, we don't need a million employees to to, to run this ship you know what i mean and so just knowing what exactly you need and um i'd rather give them raises my 12 riders raises you know what i mean and promote them so that they are more loyal and and doing you know a lot more quality work for the team than to get a million employees who who will never um you know you get what i'm saying yeah like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's 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 uh for me it's it's looking and see, I'm not growing for the sake of growing just so that everybody can think not, that we're growing and, and, and i guess one brilliant strategy uh mm -hmm. that you have uh, uh executed uh is that you've been able to grow your organization without equity investors traditional conventional equity investors so now you don't have to force the shade room to grow yeah. to to be you know hire a hundred employees and try to hit some investor target that where it's either hit or bust meaning that i see a lot of companies young entrepreneurs they get into the trap where you have a very good business this business can throw off cash you can get liquidity from actually being profitable but when you go into the claws of these big investors they don't care if your business goes bust it's either you're going for a billion or nothing and so i see them kind of being pressured uh, to and be bigger than what they, they need to be, and why don't they care if your if your business goes bust because they have so many other businesses they in their out profile? Their yeah, they spread out they, their best. They're like, yeah. listen, we we don't care. I mean, we 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 spread out the best. We have so many businesses in our profile that um, we we, we want to push you to the end, or it's not worth it, right? So yeah, that's that's definitely one of the things that I've avoided. And I, you know, obviously we 
the shade room was coming up in a time when vice they were having billion dollar valuations you know before we even knew what digital media was going to return to us you know what i mean yeah. like so it's like at the end of the day um uh i got to watch a lot of companies i i mean i had that I was moving slower, and so therefore, you see all of the companies run in this direction, and then when you see them coming back over here, you know, I get to watch that, and so that is that is the value of focusing on cash, being cash positive, focusing on the business's health. I think a lot of times we don't focus on the health of the business, and that's what I've been focused on. Like, does the business make money? If the business makes money and it's cash positive and it's and it can sustain itself, then that's a good business. You, yeah. you like you said, focusing on the fact that it's a good business. So. Um, that that because we've been bootstrapping it's kept us lean you know what i mean we don't have a ton of money to throw out we don't have millions and millions and millions and millions a hundred i think some of these companies are getting like 200 million dollars you know investment we don't have all that to be able to take we have a million offices and a million employees so i think that bootstrapping also keeps us lean and keeps us focused on what is necessary when it comes to investment for the company uh do you have any plans uh in the film and television uh space for the shade room I definitely do. I mean, I um, speaking of the script that I wrote, um, it's, it's coming to theaters August third. Um, it, it went to Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival this year. It's won a ton of awards, um, and um, and so I'm extremely happy about that. I'm working on another project called Juju. Um, so definitely. So you're you're writing scripts. I was writing. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm a screenwriter, too. So okay. that's what I wanted to be. The Shade Room was a it was a I won't say a mistake. It was an accident. You know what I mean? But I wanted yeah. to be a screenwriter. Um, it was my plan B that turned into my plan A. And so for me, because I have that film background, I want to merge. And I definitely want the Shade Room to be um, a place where we can produce content, produce um, programming that I feel like the African-American community is underserved in when it comes to programming. We can't go on TV. We can't go on Netflix. I mean, they have a couple of things for us, but it's like there really is no place for us to get content that is specifically made for us that actually speaks to us, right? Particularly the younger generation. The younger generation, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. 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 even BT is like skewed a little bit older. Yeah. Um, so we go, that's why we go to social media because that's the best thing we have that has that's our closest thing to curated content for us you know what i mean um with the algorithm and things of that nature and so we want to provide programming for them as well uh so you mentioned uh indie vc uh you took a convertible note uh mm -hmm. early on of a hundred thousand dollars did you ever talk to equity investors were there any equity investors that you kind of hey you know let me see what they're talking about, what type of terms. I always talk to investors. I just talked to one yesterday. Okay. Um, I always talk to investors. I mean, there's so much money that they want to put into the shade room. It's not even funny. I've talked to people who want to invest $5 million, $10 million, $20 million. I mean, I've talked, it's, I've talked to so many investors. Yeah. Um, but the only thing I do is learn from them, and then um, I'm gone. I think that the thing about it is, is that, you know, they always say, well, you know, if you don't take investment money right now, then you're going to be run out of the technology industry. You know, like you're going to, technology is going to be your downfall. Yeah. You don't have, you're going to be disrupted if you, you don't take You're going to be disrupted. So they come out and threaten you, kind of pressure you or? It's just that, you know what, what, what was the saying? I don't want to say it wrong. There was a saying, if you're talking to a hammer, all they're going to see is nails. So when you think about investors um that's what they know that's their business so they they think every company needs investment money especially yeah. in the tech technology space the tech companies you know what i mean so i don't think it's what i don't know if they're pressuring me they just don't see any other way around it you know and um and i do see another way around it 
I mean, Spanx is a company that grew um, bootstrapped its way up. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there are many companies that can do it, um, but I don't know if there ha- has there ever been a tech company that um, a media company in tech that did it without investing money. I, I never raised equity capital, uh, but you, I, yeah. I don't know what scale you're talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, I would say for sure, there's not a lot of them. There's uh, not, there's not yeah, a lot, yeah, and so yeah. that's where they're coming from. They're coming from that that standpoint. And so. Uh, you take a convertible note from the uh, indie uh, VC to our audience. Can you explain what a convertible note is and how that could be an option as opposed to vanilla equity investment? Okay. Well, well, let me not say convertible. So here's, let me just go back. Right. So indie VC, um, that's the closest thing I could um Compared to, I think that with NDVC, it's a non-traditional type of d- situation. So what they do is their main goal is to invest in companies that um, that they they want to invest in companies that they feel are healthy companies and good businesses that can you know build themselves basically. And so they want to get their equity if you sell, and their goal is to get you to not sell. You know what I'm saying? Your company gets you to stay in it long enough. And their their issue is that a lot of companies, you build themselves with the intent to sell, right? And so for us, you know, that's kind of what it is, is that if we sell, then that turns into equity in the company. Would there be a number mm-hmm. where someone approached you where you would sell the shade room? You, you know, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, that you've had some interest. Uh, I know some executives... Uh, you know, they've called me like, hey, I'm looking to invest or buy something. Uh, and some folks have always wanted to roll up black media in terms of, hey, the, the industry is too fragmented. They play us against each other on the advertising side. Mm-hmm. It's either we're going to get big and scale up mm-hmm. and kind of consolidate a lot of this stuff. Or we're all going to be kind of run out of the, the industry over time with the big heavyweights of Google, Facebook and some of the, the, the bigger uh, platforms from an advertising uh, perspective. But is there a number where you would say, I'm out? You know what? <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I, I don't need to know the number. I just people, want to know. Are you I, I don't, let, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Yeah. Right. People think I'm completely insane when they talk to me because they're like i get to ask that all the time is there a number and i'm like i'm not even thinking about selling this company anytime soon you go i i don't do this for the money if i did if i did do this for the money i would have sold the company a long time ago like i would have sold it sometime this year with, with the kind of deals that we've or offers we've been getting right but i think that for me i do this because i'm passionate about it you know what i'm saying and i just make money but i mean let's say um I'm a private equity firm and mm-hmm. I want to buy the shade room for a hundred million dollars. You could stay on as founder and CEO and keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, but I want to invest in some things and I want to make it even better. Well, well, like I said, I'm, I'm passionate about the community too. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, it's not about, I can't do that because I, because for me, I'm protective of the community. You, you understand what I'm saying? And I know what's going on. I know that a lot of these private equity firms and a lot of these companies are buying out black media and we don't have full control of our voice, right? And so for me, I think this is too sensitive. The community is too, it's such a sensitive community that I, if it would take a lot for me to get up 
to come up off this company and it would have to be from somebody that I respected and trusted with this community. You get what I'm saying? Got it. So Got unless it. so it wouldn't be to a private equity company. It would be to another black, you know, a, a business that I could trust with the voice of this company. It would never be I would never just sell it off to anybody cuz that's irresponsible. I think it's very irresponsible especially with the amount of people that follow the shade room and are like hooked on the shade room. To me it would just be completely irresponsible and like i said there is no amount of money you got what i'm saying for me to do that uh so uh you launched the shade room website uh, i believe a few years ago mm -hmm. uh was that in response to hey we don't trust uh the owner of instagram facebook uh you know it's kind of like we're on quicksand because we don't know what these white folks could do at any second with our built-in audience uh and engagement with our audience so we need to start building our own platform. Like, you know, was it a reaction to some of the risks that were out there? Or No, I think yeah. we, we had the website shortly after I started the Instagram. The Instagram. So when I started making a little bit of money, before we got shut down, I had someone you know, build like a rickety website. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, but I do definitely feel like uh, having a platform, uh, the website is doing really well. And I feel like having a platform is great. Um, the, the problem, the issue that I've had in business um, and when it comes to the shade room is that, Instagram is so optimized for our audience, right? Like they continue to optimize it for, you know, to make it convenient for a media company, the picture slides, the IG uh, stories, the IGTV. It's like we're, we're, we're coasting on where the shade room is on all platforms, right? And all platforms are feeding into the popularity of the shade room because of the, the different features and we don't have to pay for it. Instagram is paying for it. So it's been a great, it's been a great business model um, of, you know, to this point. And we've thought about doing an app. Um, we do have an app that's ready um, to come out and we've thought about doing all that type of stuff. But when we've realized, that our audience what makes the shade room so popular and and great and why we're growing so fast is because our audience loves that we're where they are anytime you try to take people from where they are and take them somewhere else um then it becomes a little bit harder you get what i'm saying yeah so, are you familiar with um uh what happened with zynga and facebook mm, uh, it was mm. it was a long time ago mm. uh but uh one of the risks i see out there in terms yeah. of the social media platform that's owned by let's say uh uh instagram is owned by facebook or mm -hmm. twitter or whatever platform is that in digital media history mm -hmm. uh has showed us uh that demand media they've really got how to exploit this uh seo search engine optimization mm -hmm. and they were killing it they they you know they they went public uh, uh, on uh, their SEO strategies. And then um, Google kind of caught on to what they were doing. And then they did a, a, a update to the search algorithm called Panda. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was never the same. And then with Zynga, they had signed uh, a partnership deal with a contract mm -hmm. uh, where Zynga was blowing up. They IPO'd, I believe it was over a billion dollars. Yeah. Facebook stopped the music on them and told them that they could not uh, uh, run the marketing that they were doing mm -hmm. and distribution that they were doing like they were before. And they ripped up the contract. Mm -hmm. Zynga came down off of that billion-dollar valuation and, and went way down. But one risk I see, though, yeah, uh, is I just don't trust the people at Facebook in terms of, you know, 
I get that there's a lot of audience, uh, and that's where the, the people are. But I just see a, a you know they're they're changing policies so frequently. Companies have shut down right. because of the the most recent updates. It's just that. I just don't trust them. No, no, yeah. I don't think anybody trusts them, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody trusts yeah. them. I mean, you know, but the thing about it is for me, I think that, um, you know, simultaneously we're building a brand that is like a household brand. So when you build a brand that is so uh, deep into the culture, they have to, they're going to find you somewhere. And I know that that sounds really risky. So and you're, really, so really you're saying even if Mark and Cheryl, they woke up and said, Hey, we're gonna change it. You can't post shade room type of content on Facebook. Uh, that you have a backup plan where I will take it somewhere. Yes, and they will follow. And they will follow. Yes, they will have to because this is what they do every morning. They wake up and they go to the shade room, and and the brand is so potent that they it's it, it will be like something was missing from your day, right? And so that's what we that's what we aim to do is to just keep curating content that feed, that speaks to them in a way where they're like, hey, I I mean, that's what happened the first time, right? We got shut down. Obviously, we're much bigger now, 13 million. Um, so that would be it. But until we figure out where they the people will go, um, we definitely want to just keep instilling that, you know, like keep curating and, 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 and making the brand even more potent. If you really love the Go Podcast, one way to support us is going to moguldom.com, M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com forward slash survey. Fill out that quick survey. That gives us better information on our audience. It helps us with our sponsors. Uh, That's one big way you can support us and keep our movement going. Go to moguldom.com forward slash survey. Thank you. Okay, so you've been, you know, Shade Room has, has of course, uh, blown up uh, massively. But you've been behind the scenes. You're not out there yeah. popping your collar. No. You're not at all the conferences. You're mm-hmm. not in the media. What's going on with kind of your low key profile? I'm a low key person. I think I, I never. I don't care about fame. You know, I don't care about a lot of money. I mean, the only reason why I care about money at all is because I want to continue to build this company because I have a purpose, right? And so that's my thing. I, I want to be able to have a black media company that can do programming and, and, and put out programming for the, the young audience, right? And not only just put out programming, but take programming, allow them to have their own programming in, in the sense like, you know, a lot of our content comes from the roommates, right? And so when we think about doing programming, we want to also allow the roommates to have a direct channel to us, you know what I mean? To be able to promote their content, put it out there, empower them where they can't, they can't just go to the cable networks and say, I want to show, you know what I mean? But you could come to the shade room and say, you want to show. And if the people, you know what I mean? We could do that. And so that's definitely my end goal. And so for me, I don't care about everything else. I don't care about the fame. And to me, I don't care. I would love to be behind the scenes. It's an easier life anyway. I love going to the um, grocery store with my head wrapped and nobody knows who I am. My writers can't do that, though. But but I can. So, yeah. All right. So where can people uh, check you out uh, personally? Or do you have an online profile anywhere? I actually don't have an Instagram. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have a Facebook. I have a LinkedIn. Um, and that's about it. But, yeah, I don't have Okay, so... You know, you're, everybody's on the shade room, so I won't even say check out the, the shade room. Oh, yeah, but out, yeah. for the audience out there, uh, take a look at the marketing and advertising services to connect with the shade room audience. Go direct. Thank you. Uh, with another. Ads uh, at the shade room.com. Yeah, uh, a shout it out again. Go see Ad, Ads at the shade room.com. Yes. And so, uh, of course, 
media companies, when they use uh, Google or some of the other services, they're taking 40, 50%, but you can tap into a, uh, an at scale audience at the shade room, go directly with another black business uh, and repeat it again. Ads at the shade room.com. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Let's go. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarla Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.